we're going to launch into a new teaching series today. It's a three-part series called Tipping Points. And this is not about how to treat waiters and waitresses well when you go to the restaurant. Well, that's a good thing to do. Don't be one of those people that goes to the restaurant and won't leave a tip but leaves a little tract, you know, you know, it looks like a $100 bill. And then you're like, oh, this is for me to That's not the PR Jesus needs. Have you, you know what I'm talking about? I used to wait table all through college. I paid my way through my first three, three years of college by uh, waiting tables and eventually doing room service at a hotel in Philadelphia. And every now and again, you'd get that person who'd be like, you know what, I'm going I'm to take care of you. And rather than giving me a tip, they leave you what looks like a $100 bill and you turn it over and it's like a Christian tract. You know, uh, you know what's $100 when you could be, you know, right with Jesus Christ? I'm like, I'm a Christian and this makes me want to be out of the club when I read this, you know. Um, you know, a lot of servers and waiters don't like to wait tables on Sundays because all the Christians go to restaurants and they don't tip well. So, you know, that's your free tipping points message this morning. So tip well, take care of people. All right. Anyway, tipping points, simple concepts, big momentum. We're going to be studying the same kind of passage of scripture each of the next three weeks, taking a little different part of it out of each week. Um, it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes this. Um, let me read the text to you this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 13. He uses some farming analogy. Anybody here grow up on a farm? Okay, nobody. Anybody have a garden growing up or have one now? I've, we had, I have, we've tried gardening multiple times. I'm not very successful at it. I've planted things that have never grown. But um, when I grew up, we depended upon a garden. We were very poor. I didn't know I was poor until my friends at school told me I was. I thought everything was good until then they told me, no, you're really poor. We lived in a trailer and we, you know, we were, we, we lived even more from paycheck, more than paycheck, to, less than paycheck to paycheck. But we had a garden and we depended upon it for a lot of the food that we had. So these analogies uh, come really near and dear to my heart. Here's what Paul says. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Makes sense? Nothing rocket science here. But the one who plants a lot of seeds, the one who plants generously, will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. We'll talk about that verse next week. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. We'll talk about that in two weeks. But here's what we have for today. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Do you see that concept? God is a generous God. And he's going to make sure you've got everything you need. And not only that, he'll make sure you've got some left over to take care of others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to their poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one. This is a huge verse. And really our focus today. God is the one who provides two things. He provides seed for the the farmer. In other words, the ability to earn. And then bread to eat. In other words, the provisions for my day. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they'll thank God. So two good things will result from from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they'll give glory to God for your generosity to them until all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Here's a question, two questions I want to ask you this morning. Are you currently living as generously as you'd like to? Right now, today. Are you living as generously as you would like to? Don't read into that question. Just take it at face value. Are you living as generously as you'd like to? Or are there times you wish you could be more generous than you actually are, but you can't or you don't? 
So the question again, are you currently living as generously as you feel in your heart you'd really like to be? And if not, what's preventing you from living as generously as you'd really like to be? That's really kind of the focus of this whole series. Here's the reality. We're on a mission here at Echo. And our mission is simply this, to help you grow into a healthier relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our whole goal. And we've talked about it before. There's this long line extending infinitely both directions. It's a continuum. On one end of this whole process is being nothing like Jesus. And on the other end of this whole process is being just like Jesus. Thinking his thoughts, acting like him, behaving like him, treating people like him. And our mission here is to help you, encourage you, resource you, inspire you, pastor you to moving incrementally every day one step closer in this direction and being a little bit more like Jesus. So here's a statement I want to make to you. Jesus Christ and his Father, our God, is a generous God. He's generous. He has lavished things on us that we take so much. He has spoiled us to a degree. But he is a generous God. And so if I'm going to be like him, then it stands to reason that I will also be generous. God is generous. Jesus is generous. And so you and I ought to be generous. Here's what it says. We just read it. God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So it says God will give to us generously so that you and I can give generously to others. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. And I want you to listen very, very, very carefully to what I'm saying because this will disarm a lot of what you're already arming in your mind towards me as we talk about this. Here's what I know. If you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you already want to be generous. You don't need me to convince you. That's what I know. I'm standing in front of generous people this morning and you want to be generous. I'm not here in this series to beat you up and take a generosity atheist and make you a philanthropist. If you have no desire in your heart to be generous, nothing in this series is going to mean anything to you. You need a full revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. That's what you need. Because the moment that you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, you have his spirit alive inside of you. And in that spirit is generosity. And here's what I know. If you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, you don't need the pastor to convince you to be generous. You want to be generous, but you're probably not being as generous as you'd like to be. And you live with a sense of sadness and guilt and tension over that. So this whole series is not about trying to convince you that you should be generous. I'm going to take that as a presumptive conclusion already, that you want to be generous. And if you don't want to be generous, you need salvation, not the pastor to take money out of your wallet, take time out of your life. That's just going to feel like stealing, not giving. The whole idea of this series is to help you be as generous as your heart wants to be. To help you feel free to be the generous person that God wants you to be and that you want to be, but for whatever reason you feel like you might not be able to get there, that's what I want to look at. What are the things that prevent you and I from giving generously, from investing generously, from giving my time generously, from encouraging generously, for giving of my gifts and talents generously? What are the things that keep me from that? That's really what this series is about. It's not about trying to convince you to be generous if you don't want to be. That's between you and God. It's about helping the majority of us in this room who say, Pastor, I really do want to be generous. I see needs all the time that I want to meet. I just feel like I'm not free to meet all of them. I want to be more generous than what it, I want to give of my finances more generously, but my finances are a mess. I don't know how to do that. 
I want to give him my time more generously, but I don't have enough time to take care of the things I have now. I want to give him my gifts and talents more generously, but I either need to be paid for it, or I don't have enough time left over to give, or I don't feel like I have any gifts and talents. Where do I get rid of them? Where do I start? That's what this series is about. It's really not about this huge cathartic decision. It's more about bringing you to some tipping points. So let me offer you a couple definitions real quick. I want to give you two definitions, and we're going to dive into this and get very practical very fast. The heartbeat of these next three weeks is to supply you with a biblical pathway for releasing you to be as generous as your heart desires. We want to learn together what simple steps we can take that will generate huge momentum in the way we give up our time, our money, our resources, our talents, and our abilities. So here's two key definitions. Let me give you one. Generosity. Let's define that. There's a lot of different definitions. Let me give you two sentences that, as I've been studying this through, really land, resonate in my heart. Generosity is the habit of giving without expecting a return. It's a habit. Generosity isn't really an action. It's an adverb. Generously, generously. Generosity is a noun, but I mean, we can get into the English of it. But generosity is not really an action. It's, it modifies an action. You can give generously. You can give sparingly. You can invest generously. You can invest sparingly. It's the habit, though. It's a habit of giving without expecting to get anything back out of it. It's a little bit different than investing, right? When I, and I do that, too, and a lot of us do that. We invest because we expect a return and we hope for a return. I don't invest hoping to get no return. I'll never be able to retire generosity is the habit of giving away without expecting a return. It's giving my time, my money, my resources, my talent, or my abilities that is motivated solely out of love for God and for his people. That's what it is. It's not motivated by what I get. It's not even motivated by the good fuzzies that I get back out of it for myself. You can do the right things for the wrong reasons. You can be a philanthropist for how people look at you. Really, generosity is the habit of giving without return, motivated solely out of love for God and his people. Let me define what tipping point is. There's a book called Tipping Points. That's not the basis for this series. I didn't even know that there was a book called Tipping Points until after we tried to get some graphics developed and ran into some issues there. Uh, But uh, tipping point, here's what a tipping point is. A tipping point is the point at which a small change or a series of small changes becomes significant enough to cause a larger, more important change. Have you seen the Charles Schwab commercial on TV where they start with this little tiny domino and they tip this little domino over and it tips a bigger one over and a bigger one over and a bigger one over and finally at the end it tips over this like two-story tall domino. It was all started by one tiny little change, one little tip. And so what we want to explore in this series is, is there or are there some tipping points, some small changes you and I can make that if we make these small changes, these small adjustments in our life, It'll create enough momentum that we get to this place of being able to be as hugely generous as our heart really wants to be for God and towards people. Um, Between the years of 2005 and 2008, I lost 70 pounds. And that would have no frame of reference for you. You didn't know me back in my my weight before then. But um, people who knew me through that time would ask me all the time, how did you do it? How did you lose that 70 pounds? And really, what what was that one quick thing? Did you just stop eating chips? Did you stop drinking soda? Did you start exercising four hours a day? Did you go on the biggest loser? No, it was none of those things, really. It was actually a series of small, really kind of small changes. The the first tipping point that I came to was uh, I had to change the way that I budgeted my food and exercise. I had to change my approach towards, towards those things. For years, I ate what I wanted, when I wanted it, as much as I wanted And after every bite of food during that time, my taste buds would say, that's not enough, I want more. And I gave my taste buds and my appetite everything that it wanted, and I indulged in overeating. I ate as much 
when, however much I want. And after every bite, I just said, that's not enough. That's not enough. That's not enough. One burger wasn't enough. Two burgers. One bag of chips wasn't enough. One, you know, that whole, you, know, you can, you, no one can, what was it, Lay's potato chips? No one can eat just one. I was the poster child for that. I couldn't eat, even eat, just stop at one bag. And part of the tipping point for me had to come from, I had to stop looking at food as being, saying that's not enough. I had to come to a point where I said, that's enough. I had to change my whole mindset. A second tipping point for me was um, a couple of my family members who had the same eating habits who were older than I was almost died from some real serious medically related issues. All related to the same things I struggled with, high blood pressure and overeating, eating what they wanted, when they wanted, never having enough. Third thing that had was my doctor had a stern talking to with me, said, you will die in 10 years if you don't change things. And then the fourth tipping point for me was I finally just decided, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going to make some changes here. So it really was these four little tiny incidents that came together, and I, and, I, and I had to stop living my life saying there's never enough food, there's never enough this. I finally had to get to the point to say enough is enough. I had to change my eating habits, I had to change my exercise, I had to change my sleep patterns. All these different things happened, and as they came together over the period of three or four years, the weight came off. Indulgent overeating had to be exchanged for sensible dieting. I had to give up something I loved, which was eating whatever I wanted, for something I loved even more, which was physical health. I had to learn to live with enough rather than living to consume more and more and more. I want you to hear what I'm saying because this applies to generosity. Before that I could get where I wanted to be, I had to learn to live with enough rather than living thinking I need to consume more and more and buy more and eat more and have more. Our society teaches you that the best way to indicate your prosperity and your success is by the accumulation of stuff that you have. It's called consumerism. That the more that I have, the more that I should spend. And that will always work in tension with you, a generous spirit. Because generosity says, I have enough. And not all of us have the same definition of enough. And that's okay. Not all of us have the same budget. Not all of us have the same finances. Not all of us have the same obligations. But for each one of us, learning to live this way has to come with being able to say, what God has given me is enough. And now I will take some of the extra and I will use it to help others. Here's what it says in Leviticus. Here's the instruction God gives. He says, when you harvest the crops of your land, don't harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and don't pick up what the harvesters drop. It's the same with your grape crop. Don't strip every, if you own the land, don't strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and don't pick up every single last grape that falls to the ground. Leave them there for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I'm the Lord your God. Don't make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Here's what God's always taught us about this. He addressed three different vocational groupings and all of us fall into one of these categories. He addressed the owners or the employers. And he said, the crops belong to you and that should be enough. He addressed the employees. He says, your wages belong to you and that should be enough for you. He even addressed the non-owners, the people who didn't have a job. And he said, the edges are yours and that should be enough. At its core, a lifestyle of generosity is a direct result of your ability to say, you know what, that's enough. I have X, I have this much time, I have this much money, I have this much responsibility, I have this much talent, I have this much resources, and you know what, at the end of the day, that's enough for me. That's enough. And it's going to make it easier for me then to look at what I do have, little though it might seem in my own eyes, and be able to turn loose of that and release it to help others in need. God's given me a budget. It's not the same as everyone else's budget, but I'll live within my budget. I'll budget... I will budget to take care of myself, my family, and others in need. And the budget that God has given me is enough. 
And when you can get this deep into your spirit, you'll be able to bust the biggest myth about, about generosity. Here's the myth. Let's bust this myth together. Here's the myth. Here's what most people believe about generosity and what you would say if I asked you what's keeping you from being more generous. A lot of us would say this. The tip, the, you'd say this. Here's the myth. That the tipping point for living a generous life is to become wealthy. I think a lot of us live with this. I'm not the generous person I'd like to be because I don't have enough wealth to be that person. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. I simply don't have enough. So, the pathway for all of us that think this way to be generous is to do what first? Get rich. Get wealthy. Now, let me make a big, huge disclaimer here. I am not against wealth. And I'm not against you having possessions. I'm not against you having things. Neither is God. But not everybody has the same budget. And here's the other thing. It's okay for you to have things as long as those things don't have you. Did you hear what I said? It's okay for you to have things as long as those things don't have you. Because when those things have you, this whole thing turns upside down. Because then you say, my self-worth equals my net worth. And it's hard for someone who thinks that way to ever release any of their net worth to help others. Because as they give, it hurts. And as they give, they feel less. And as the stockpile decreases, they feel a sense of panic because all their peace is wrapped up in this. All their identity is wrapped up in this. But the tipping point, many people believe, I can't be generous if I just had Joe Flacco's money. If I just had Steve Ballmer who just went out and splurged and bought himself the Los Angeles Clippers for $2 billion. Just, I'm like... Did you write it on like one of those checks, like what I have? Or like, how does that, how can you fit all the zeros on there? Like, do you, like how do you endorse that at the bank? Do you just go through the drive through window and like, how does that even work? Like you look at, and I look at people like this and like, yeah, this one gives a hundred million dollars, you know, to fight for Ebola. And I'm like, well, if that was a hundred million of a $3 billion stockpile, that's not really saying a whole lot to me. But a lot of us say, well, if just the wealthy people would turn loose of these things, we could fix all this stuff. I have to be wealthy to be generous. It has several different versions. Things like, I need to be financially secure and debt-free before I can be generous. My resources are not... Here's another one. My resources aren't enough to meet the need that I see, so I'll do nothing rather than do the little that I can. I run into this every time in Haiti. (laughs) I go down there and think, man, what good am I doing here? So I have a choice. Do the little that I can or do nothing until I feel like I can meet the whole need. What really drives this idea that I need to be the one to meet the whole need? Is that God or is that pride? What is that? I don't know what that is. Well, I know what it is. Here's the other one. People say poverty is the enemy of generosity. That generosity and poverty are two opposite. And absolutely not. I'll take you to some of the poorest parts in the world. They're more generous than we are. I watch little kids that have nothing to drink, that haven't had a drink of water in two and a half days, take a cup of water that I give them, turn around and give it away before they take a sip. That's generosity. That's beyond generosity. That's sacrificial giving. If wealth is the prerequisite for generosity, if I have to be wealthy before I can be generous, then we have a simple pathway to follow this morning, and I could, we could teach three parts on this. How to get rich. Here's the lie that it tells. Here, really, it really what... It, uh, we stockpile money and we get wealthy, if that's really what we need to do. God has no problem with his followers having money and things. The problem becomes when money and things have us. The Bible doesn't say money is evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's, and the love of money is actually the byproduct of the real enemy and its possessiveness. Possessiveness is the real enemy of generosity, not poverty. 
possessiveness. When I just want to write my name on everything and I'm going to accumulate more and more and more and more and more for me. And, the, and here's the lie. The lie is this, that if I eventually stockpile enough, some magical switch will flip in my heart and I'll stop wanting to be a hoarder and start being a donor. That doesn't happen. The more you get, if you're holding more tightly, on, now there's a disclaimer. The more that I accumulate, if I'm holding real tightly onto it, the harder it is to let go of it. But yet I know some people who have a lot and they have no problem letting go of it because they've discovered the secrets of generosity. They've defeated that. And guess what? God can trust them. Why would God trust me with more wealth if it drives me farther away from him and his people? Why would God do that? Why would he, why would he enable that monster of possessiveness to get bigger and bigger and bigger? No, we, we, live with this, we live with this belief that if at some point the appetite of possessiveness will finally be satisfied and I'll say, now I have enough and I'll be magically transformed into a philanthropist and turn loose of my surplus with cheerfulness and glee. That's not how it works. The truth is the tighter I hold my possessions, the more difficult it is to release them. If our own estimation of our status in life is derived from how much or how little we have, we'll be unable to part with our resources because as our stockpile diminishes, so are our own sense of self-worth. God sent Jesus into the world to set us free from the lie that says my self-worth is only my net worth. That's what materialism says. Materialism says I equal my stuff. You know, you don't have to have things to be materialistic. You just have to think you have to have things in order to be somebody, to be materialistic. Jesus came in the world to set us free from that. He actually corrected this line of thinking several thousand years ago. Do you remember the story from Mark chapter 12 when Jesus sat near the collection box in the temple and watched as crowds dropped money into the box and many rich people came in and they put in big checks and they put in large amounts and you could actually see what they were putting in because they weren't disguising it. They were walking right up to the offering plate like what we have out at the, at the back. If you didn't get a chance to give them the offering, we have a little collection box on the way out you can give on your way out. And he's watching all the wealthy people drop in large amounts and then a poor widow comes by and drops in two small coins. And here's what Jesus says. She's more generous than everybody else. What do you mean, Jesus? The amount of her offering doesn't even scratch the surface. He says, aha. He said, they gave out of their surplus. She gave all she had. That's generosity. In other words, he said her net, her net worth is far smaller than her actual worth to God. She was more than those two coins. Jesus is saying, you don't have to be wealthy to be generous. Isn't that a relief? Isn't that a relief to you? You can be the generous person you want to be without having to get wealthy first. I know some very wealthy people, and quite frankly, some of the most generous people I know are some of the wealthiest. And quite frankly, I... It kind of lines up with Scripture. Why wouldn't God keep that pipeline filled with people, with resources for someone who just says, it's not mine, it's his. I'm just managing it. I'm just getting it where it needs to go. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying, hey, go spend yourself into debt, buy a big house, and then just give yourself recklessly. That's not what I'm saying either. Part of this also has to do with getting yourself financially healthy. If you can't manage your own finances, you're not going to be very generous. That's another half of this whole equation. We've got Financial Peace University and a lot of other avenues that we can help you and resource you to getting those things in line. But this series is more about your heart and how to set you up that way. Fact. Here's the fact. Generosity has little to nothing to do with personal wealth. Generosity has everything to do with defeating possessiveness. And the way you defeat possessiveness is by giving up ownership. If you have a problem accumulating too much, just stop calling it yours. 
relinquish the ownership. Tear up the deed. Pastor, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. How do I, how do, I do that? That's easier said than done. What small changes can I make to move in that direction? Generosity has little nothing to do with your wealth. It has everything to do with your ability to defeat possessiveness. And the way you do that is by relinquishing ownership. Here's, let's push towards the tipping point together. Most of us come in the world with a belief that it's all mine. It's all mine. It all belongs to me. My son is two and a half, and he thinks it's all his. Have you ever tried to teach sharing to somebody who's very possessive? I'm trying to force him to be generous by going through this exercise called sharing. It's where he doesn't relinquish ownership of the toy. It's where I pry it out of his begrudging hands and say, here, share it with your little friend over here. And he's going to sit there and he's going to watch and make sure they take care of it. And then at the first opportunity, he's going to get it back. Because when you live with the belief that it's all mine, every act of giving hurts. It feels like stealing. We do it begrudgingly. It feels like somebody is taking something that's mine, and there's an expectation that follows your gift. I watch people who give money to church. They don't do it generously. They do it watching it. Well, I saw that we spent money on flowers the other week. Guys, how much are we spending on the coffee out there? We spend it Because my tithe is going to pay for that. Look, <laughs> I'm not above accountability, but that's not generosity. Because what you did was you gave it, but you still kept ownership of it after you gave it away. And now you're watching that thing to make sure everybody's going to take care of it because you're expecting some type of a return somehow, some way on what you gave. That's not how you get to generosity. That adds more anxiety to your life. It adds stress to your life. It destroys relationships. It raises suspicion. It doesn't encourage you to keep doing this. All of us come into the world kind of feeling this way, but in some cultures it gets defeated much quicker than it does in ours. And our culture, it really does, we, we live with this feeling like it's all mine. So how do we get past it's all mine and get to the tipping point? Here's the tipping point for defeating possessiveness. The tipping point in defeating possessiveness is grabbing hold of the revelation that maybe it's not all mine. Maybe some is God's. That's the tipping point. That's not the end of the journey. But if you can get this in your mind, that okay, well, maybe, maybe I don't own everything. Maybe this didn't all just come from me. Maybe some of this that I have, my talent, my life, my breath, my opportunity to live in this country, my opportunity to have clean water, my ability to earn what I earn, maybe some of that is God's and some of it is mine. Maybe not everything belongs to me. You know how much easier it is to start giving things away when you don't own it? That's really the tipping point. Because here's what the Bible... Why is that the tipping point? Because the very moment you believe that at least some of your stuff belongs to someone else, you've broken the stranglehold of possessiveness over your life. The moment you get this far, the moment that domino begins to tip and you say, you know what, maybe maybe this isn't all mine anyway. And if it's not all mine, that's not my responsibility to keep supplying it, protecting it, defending it, stockpiling it, hoarding it. It's not even really my right to say where all of it goes. That propels you forward into this kind of this, this, this end of this journey, which is the realization that actually it all comes from God. It all comes from God. 
God is the origin of everything. The Bible teaches us this. This is not some newfangled idea that I have. The Bible teaches it all comes from God. Both my money and my ability to earn money comes from God. Romans eleven thirty six says everything is God's. Everything comes from God. James says every good and perfect gift comes from God. My ability to earn a living, my ability to, to preach or to teach, your ability to sing, your ability to fix things, your ability to do accounting, you get no more credit for that than the fact that you have blue eyes or brown eyes. It came from God. He gave it to you so that you could use it to take care of yourself and take care of other people, says the Bible. It doesn't belong to you. It came from him. My gifts and my talents come from God. Matthew 25 has this awesome parable in it that's been preached many times, and sometime I'll pull it out, about the, the three men that got the, the parable of the talents. That word talent is just a unit of measurement. It's generic. And all I'll say about that story this morning because of our time is this. Every single person, the person who got ten talents, the person who got five, the person, or the five, three, and one, or however they broke it down, five, three, and one. One person got five, one person got three, one person got one. The master went away and said, do it with, with what I gave you, do something with it. The person with five earned five more. The person with three earned three more. The person with one said, well, I didn't get what they got, so I just buried mine in the ground. Point of the matter is we don't all get the same thing. We don't all get the same resources. I don't get Joe Flacco's paycheck. But the point is it all comes from God. He's the one who gave it. He expects you and I to use the resources that he gave you, not me. You don't use my resources. You don't take my checkbook and give like you always wanted to. I won't get you very far. But what are you doing with what you have? And see, the truth matters. When you realize that it all comes, God giving gets easier. Here's the secret. If you get nothing else, you've got to get this. This is like one of those grenades. Some of you will get it right away. Some of you, this will hit you later. I want you to get this. The real secret of generosity is that it's always easier to give away that which I don't own. You think about that for a second. Would you rather take your checkbook and be generous or take somebody else's? You know how fun it is to give away stuff that you don't own, you have no attachment to? Oh, it's a blast. When you don't think like you own it, what if Joe Flacco just said, here's $100,000 in cash, you just go give it away. However you want. Oh, that'd be a blast. You know why? Because you don't own it. There's no attachment to it. Defeating possessiveness means living with the reality that everything that I have comes from God, so it's not painful for me to be generous. I'm giving away what belongs to him that he entrusts to me. And then generosity, if you read verses in the Bible about being cheerful, about being hilarious, about being joyful when you give, the only way you ever get there is by defeating possessiveness. Until then, it feels like painful. It feels begrudging. It feels like an unwanted tax that the church is levying against you that you don't want to have feels like an imposition on your life. You don't have to be wealthy to be generous. You just have to be willing to recognize whatever you do have, be it a lot or a little, and let God get it through you to someone who needs it. So it's safe. Let me tell you how a lot of people feel like it's not safe for me to be generous. Let me give you these three things, and then we'll close. Let me tell you why it's safe for you to be generous. Let me give you three reasons. Number one, God promises to generously provide for my needs so that I have enough to share with others. It's safe for you to be generous. Some people are like, I can't be generous because what if my pile runs out? If I give, that creates a deficit. And if I keep giving the way that I want to give, I'm going to run out of time, I'm going to run out of talent. 
You know, if I keep singing every Sunday on the worship team, at some point my voice is just going to fall apart. If I keep giving of my energy, if I keep giving of my resources, if I keep going on these missions trips, I'm going to eventually run out of knowledge. One day I'm just going to wake up and not know how to do a surgery anymore. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God promises to generously provide for my needs. That's a key word. I wish I had more time. Your needs, not your greeds. Some of us can't be generous because we've given too much away to greed and now we live with all this responsibility because maybe we're living beyond what our actual need is. Not that that's wrong, but when it interferes with your generosity, that's a decision you and God need to talk about. What are the things you're willing to live without that you don't need in order that you can be as generous as you'd like to? That's a whole other lesson in itself. That's just the nutshell of it. It's not right for me to tell you what to do there. That's a decision between you and God. But you don't have to be worried about being generous because God, God says, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God will generously provide all you need so then you will always have everything you need plus plenty left over to share with others. So if God's being generous to you and you're budgeting and living wisely within what he's given you, which is a whole other piece to this, he can provide for you generously and you can spend generously and not have anything left over. But you don't have to be worried about it because God will keep supplying for you. Number two, God, assumes, God himself assumes responsibility for supplying my basic needs as well as my ability to earn. I love this verse. God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. God's involved in both of these things. You don't get bread without it growing from wheat and you don't get wheat without a seed. So God says, I will provide for you the ability to grow something to earn. I'll give you the ability to earn. We all have skills and abilities to be able to earn, to be able to take care of things. But also, he says, I'll always make sure you have your basic needs met. He's involved in both of those processes. It's not like God comes to my house every day and bakes the bread for me. He's given me the ability to earn a living. And then he's given me wisdom through his word to how to budget those resources so that I can take care of myself and take care of other people. I have plenty left over and to make sure that my needs are taken care of. Now, that's what God does. You and I, sometimes there's mismanagement that happens in this step. But if you want to be generous, it's safe for you to be generous because if you can understand, God says, I will make sure you don't run out of seed. So don't eat all your seed. Farmers didn't do that. They didn't eat every, you know, every time they grew stuff, they had to put some seed aside to plant to have a residual harvest. They didn't eat everything. They made sure that they put some things aside. God says, I will assume responsibility for making sure to supply your basic needs as well as your ability to earn so you can be generous. Finally, God supplies resources to generous people in order to get resources through generous people. Do you know a lot of the way that God demonstrates his love, his generosity towards us, doesn't just come directly from his bank account to mine. It comes through people. It comes through people. We had a big brush pile in our backyard that was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I had investigated the cost that it would take to move it, and it was significant. So I thought, well, I'm glad I cut down all these trees. I didn't quite consider the cost of moving all the stuff off my property. So we were in the process of setting money aside to have that brush pile removed. And then one day, I came out to get in my car to go to work, and the brush pile was gone whole thing was gone to this day no one will admit who did it but someone saw that brush pile and became generous to us they didn't write us a check they just organized a small army of people because there's a lot of stuff there took me weeks to build that pile that big but a group of people came without announcing that they did it they loaded it all up into however they loaded it and they took it all away it's generosity they didn't expect even a thank you And you know what I did when that happened? I thanked God. I didn't know who to thank. And that's what the Bible says happens. That's what Paul says. When you're generous to somebody, you not only meet a need, they will thank God because of what you did and the cycle is complete. 
God gave to, to somebody the ability to organize, to somebody else the ability to serve, to somebody else the ability to drive and donate up their truck. They put those things into motion as God blessed them. And then when I was the recipient of their generosity, you know what I did? I thanked God. I thanked God for caring about these little trivial things in my own life because somebody had the ability to meet a need and rather than saying there's nothing that I can do, they acted on it. And this whole site, you know who got the credit? God did. Could you imagine what would happen in Perry Hall and these surrounding areas if one body of believers got hold of this idea that I don't have to be wealthy. I can just give of what I have. And release it. You know, a couple weeks ago, as I was preparing for this, this series, I, I saw a video that had kind of gone, I don't know if it went fully viral, but I saw it, someone had reposted it on Facebook. And right when I was kind of working on this concept about the connection between wealth and generosity, I saw this video and it just kind of galvanized it in my mind. So just as our conclusion today, I want to invite you to just watch it. It's three minutes long. I just want to watch what happens. What happens when someone who feels like they have nothing is still willing to be generous? And then we'll come back in close. Is there any way I could have some food? Any way I could have some food? I'm very hungry. Is there any way I could have some food? I'm not very hungry. I have some food. Is there any way I could have some food? Is there any way I could have some food? Do you have any extra food? Hey, excuse me, sir. Are you hungry? Because we, we actually just bought some food to give to someone, and uh, we were wondering if you would like it. I mean, it's two burgers and fries and a drink. If, would you like it? All right, yeah, of course, man. Yeah, of course. Have a good day, man. Anyway, I could have some food. I'm really hungry. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. How long have you been out here? How long have you been out here? I've lived here most of my life. Yeah. Excuse me, sir. Hey, I, I'm just paying it forward, and I'm I'm actually just helping people that are in need, and you know I want to give you some te- like ten bucks, so you know you can. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, brother. Have a great day. Yes, sir. I'm not from around here, man. Neither. No, where are you from? I'm from Florida. Florida, man. How'd you get out here? You don't happen, I mean, no. you don't happen to have a, a dollar I, I could have? Yeah. Spare a dollar? Yeah, you need a dollar for it. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah. God bless you. Give me 10 miles. Hey, thank you. you Appreciate it. Don't worry about it. Thank you. What's your name? Jimmy. Jimmy? Jeremy. God bless you. Hey, Jimmy. Take care, okay? God have a good one. Thank you.
know, I'm so glad that those, those couple guys in the video there, that they didn't grow up with the belief that you have to be wealthy to be generous. God doesn't ask us to give what we don't have. He just encourages us that it's okay for us to give a portion of what we do have, to take care of ourselves, obviously, but to help others in need. I really guess just the question is, what do you have that you feel like you'd like to give in order to meet a need in God's kingdom? What do you have? It might be for you. It might be something financial. It might be it might be just volunteerism. It might be serving, meeting a local need here at church or in your community or in your household, somebody at work. The options really are endless. But really, at the end of the day, is what is it that you've got that God has entrusted to you that would bring you great joy and make you feel a sense of fulfillment to be able to feel like, I have the freedom to now give this away to meet a need like I said, in God's kingdom and someone in your life. It's, it's some poignant things for us to think about. But don't live with this idea that we have to accumulate a stockpile of possessions in order to be wealthy. No. It's just about understanding that everything comes from God. And it's, it costs me nothing to give away that which I get for free. Let's pray together this morning. I want to invite our worship team to come, our prayer team to come. This is where we're going to close. But the most generous thing that Jesus ever did that no one could ever talk was he, I mean, the ultimate thing, he laid down his life. He laid down his life. He exchanged his life for the possibility of yours. And I have to believe that here this morning, there's at least one person that's in this room that you're really wrestling with the whole idea of God and your relationship to him. And it really comes down to, are you really, are you really willing to surrender possessiveness the ownership that you take of your life, the control, the, my decisions, my life, my rights, my will? Or are you willing to surrender that to Jesus Christ and say, this is the life you gave me. I surrender my will to yours. I forfeit my rights and I accept your freedom today. Really, that's what this all boils down to. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you want to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. If this is a decision you want to make, I want you to pray this prayer along with me. Dear Jesus, I come to you today very honestly and I confess my need for you. Every single moment of every single day I recognize now that I've needed you. And so in this moment, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I surrender possessiveness over my life. And I invite you to be the owner. You've always been the owner, but now I recognize you as the owner. Come into my life and change me. And I commit to following you from this moment forward for the rest of my life. In your name I pray. Amen.